You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. This is episode 123. And, you, uh... You know, for for saying that almost 123 times, I could think about what <laughs> like I, I <laughs> it feels like it's been forever since I've just said that last. Part. Yeah, yeah, it's uh we're we're in a busy phase of the year, uh, which is really really nice. Yes. Um, but there's things that we we didn't get that break we're used to in the summer where it's like hmm. I wonder when the phone's going to ring again. You <laughs> know, that never really happened. So it's uh, it's it's nice to be encroaching this or entering this part of the year, but uh, but we never got that like that time to I don't want to say recruit, but to to work on the things that we had on our list for the spring. Saying, hey, we really want to get this under wraps before the the fall hits. I just had this conversation. I can't remember with whom at our garden party last week. Mm-hmm. And for those of our listeners that are in the industry. Like I specifically remember January and February being dead. Mm-hmm. You had two months where you saved projects to work on, and the months of July and August were dead. You know, I, when I worked at the Connor Pile Company, we closed between Memorial Day and Labor Day. It was growing period. You didn't sell, which mm-hmm. that just the idea of that now seems oh, yeah. outrageous, but. We don't get that anymore, and it was a drought this summer. Like people weren't planting, and we didn't slow down. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. it was interesting because yeah, it, it didn't. the The break definitely showed up on the the profit and loss statement. Yeah, it didn't show up in, in the amount of phone calls and emails and, and meetings and all that kind of stuff. So, that's that's very true. Yeah, yeah, cash flow was 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 impacted, and but. and we said the same thing over the winter. Like, and and it, this isn't something. It's slowly been moving this way, but this year is the first year I remember it not really ever slowing down. And you want to know what it signals to me is. Working in the native plant nurseries, more people are interested in native plants. Um, we're doing yeah. more presentations than we used to do. We're we're yeah. being asked to weigh in and, and join panels more than we used to do. Of so course. I think there's just a lot more interest in this field in native plants, and uh, and that's when they think, oh, this is when everyone's slow. So let's it's let's, a, it's let's a growing plug it in then. It's a growing but, interest, yeah. and it's um, you and I are, are getting asked to be involved in more things too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it wasn't that long ago that, that I said I felt like a slacker because I wasn't involved in anything outside of work. Well, since then, I've been appointed to the Board of Supervisors for Camden County Soil Conservation District mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Um, you know, after speaking with Eve Allen, we have our first meeting mm-hmm. for the Ecological Health Network coming up. Like all of a sudden, I went from nothing to like, oh, I, I have a lot. <laughs> Yeah. A lot going on now. Yeah. It's just weird. It's not just like we're, you know, we have a we have an in person talk uh, coming up next mm-hmm. week. I we was going to say, friend, that's a, a great segue into yeah. next Thursday. We're going to be, uh, and that's September twenty second. Uh, we're going to be in Hopewell um, at Hopewell train station giving a talk um, that we have titled "Lessons Learned," and it's kind of just a some of the takeaways we've had some from. Some of the guests on the podcast, yeah. a quotable moment that they had 
where we looked back and said, ooh, this is something you can apply uh, to a greater sense. And it's not all the big guests and it's not all the big moments. Like we all remember the big messages. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just little tidbits of information that are good to remember. Um, we have been assured – like th there's room for I think 55 people to sign mm -hmm. up, and it's free, but you do have to pre-register. We have been assured that if the <laughs> – could you hear that? I could hear that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I, what I happened. I have a feeling everyone could hear that, friend. Yeah, I, yeah I don't know what happened, but it's my okay. computer just started <laughs> to shut down and then didn't. Um, it actually happened <laughs> when you were in the other room too. Did it really? So, yeah, it made a little – that doo -doo -doo Yeah, I don't know then, uh, what's going on with that. But, kind of shocked me because no one was in here except me. Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird. Um, we have been assured that if the registration exceeds the maximum number, that the venue can be moved to hold more people. Yeah. So, and hopefully they have enough water and and bathrooms on hand. We don't want this to be another Woodstock '99. Wood we'll, we're in to rile the crowd up. <laughs> we're, we'll be the Fred Durst of, yeah. <laughs> of the native plant movement. <laughs> Well, I guess, friend, that probably more applies to you because you have the goatee. So. I do have the goatee. I'll wear the backwards baseball hat. Yeah. You were Kick wearing a, a backwards baseball hat at our event the other night. It, uh, I described your outfit as Delco Chic. Delco and Chic, even though, yes, you know, I, I rep Bucko. But, yeah. but uh, <laughs> um, I kind of threw off some of our coworkers because they're used to – I'm not really professional, yeah. friend. Like you're getting jeans every day, but like casual friend kind of threw – what really did it for me is your your shooting sleeve, which is not actually a shooting sleeve. It's a compression no. thing. Fran bumped his elbow, and he's well, been wearing it? this compression thing on his right. arm ever since. All right. This is about the oldest thing I can – this is the one sentence I can say that makes me feel older than I've ever felt. I developed bursitis, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I've been wearing a compression sleeve or an ice sleeve uh, while it's on the mat. It's pretty much – yeah. I'm like 99% yeah. good. Now, Are you going to wear it to the the, the talk? I will not. Next week? I'm, yeah. I'm wearing it through. But I, I had a, a bad spill. It's over, a fashion statement. Over, yes, it, really it is. is. I had a bad spill over the holiday that really didn't – like there's no continual pain, but out of nowhere I developed bursitis. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, but you do need to register for that live talk, yes, uh, which we're doing next do. week. So uh, that's, again, September 22nd at – Right now, it's at Hopewell Train Station. At 7 um, We're hoping it gets moved to the, 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 church. the church in Hopewell, um, and it starts at 7 p.m. So you have to go to – I think you can go on the Sourlands Conservancy website and sign up. I know it's on their Facebook, their Instagram, their LinkedIn. We have it on our, our Facebook both and LinkedIn. Pinelands Nursery and Native Plants. And, and Tom and I will make time to sign autographs. And do selfies afterwards. Yeah. I will tell you right now, my <laughs> autograph isn't worth much because you can't even tell what I wrote when I, when I, signed, I signed a check. That's the only time my autograph's worth anything is when it's on a check. Yeah, me, um, me too. But we do have besides that, and I can't believe – first of all, I can't believe this talk is next week. I yeah. feel like it, it felt so far away. The week after that, we have our first live podcast at mm -hmm. James Braddock Park in North Bergen, New Jersey at the Nature's Park Cafe. Um, it's part of the – the uh, Bergen Bergen chapter of the Native uh, Native Plant Society uh, of New Jersey. Yeah, they're based out of Jersey City. I okay. guess it's the Bergen chapter. Yeah, I, or, I Hudson, Hudson or Hudson chapter. Hudson chapter, Hudson Hudson chapter. of the uh, Native Plant uh, Society of New Jersey. There will be a plant sale from ten to two. Tom will be there mm -hmm. for Pinelands Direct as one of the vendors, so you can say hi to Tom then. 
Uh, it is limited seating for this as well, and it's not going to get like it's first come first serve. You do have to reserve your your spot ahead of time. So, I I I, I haven't asked how this one's doing. I'm assuming it's doing mm-hmm. well. I don't yeah. know. Well, but, I know a couple people that have I've corresponded with um, had said, well, I've had people say they want to go to both. So there's some people right, who awesome. told me, oh, no, I'm definitely going to be at the, the live show in, uh, at James Braddock Park. And I've had other people say, I'm really good. I'm going to be at the, the talk we're doing at the Hopewell train station on September 22nd. And so. there are two different experiences. So mm-hmm. uh, one's a talk, one's a podcast. You can go we to have, both. We have Dr. Randy Eckel as a guest, which uh, uh, Dr. Eckel has been on before. But this is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're just going to talk about – her career, we want to get to know Dr. Eckel a little bit better mm-hmm. and and talk about and all how the great she's been like one of the the prominent people behind mm-hmm. the native plant movement in New Jersey. Um, so I think that's a a highly requested guest, and uh, and we found a way that we could get her on. Um, yeah. And it just happens to be our first live show too, so definitely worth uh, if you're in New Jersey and you can make it to the, either of those, we'd really appreciate it. So. Yeah, so there's a lot going on. That's yeah. it's all great stuff. We're yeah. excited. So we spent a lot of time on the the catching up this time. So let's get into the plant stuff, and uh, let's start with that's hot. That's hot. So you want to go, or you want me to go? Yeah, I can go first. And uh, and I love is, your selection, by the way. I know. Yeah, this is a a segment where we kind of talk about what we're seeing uh, in our neck of the woods and the plants that we're noticing, and and we decided to give a little plug to this week. So. My choice this week was sneezeweed, uh, also known as Helen's flower, and uh, and much better name. The botanical name for that is Helenium autumnale, or autumnal. I've heard both. Um, and uh, a little bit from wildflower.org is uh, this is a two to five foot erect perennial that has many elongate leaves and numerous flower heads, a wing stem bearing yellow daisy like flower heads with fan shaped drooping rays. Uh, disc flowers forming a conspicuous green yellow ball like structure at the center of the head. The flowers have raised centers and a wedge shape. Yellow petals, which end in three teeth, uh, which is actually really cool yeah. with the petal, is that, that toothed aspect to yeah. it. Um, as the species name implies, sneezeweed flowers in late summer or fall, uh, or yeah, sneezeweed flowers in late fall, summer, fall, autumnale, autumn yeah. is in there, so that's why. Um, and then the common name is based on the former use of its dried leaves in making snuff, uh, which I'd heard that, and that was, it's not sneezeweed because if you smell it, it's going to make you sneeze, and the pollen's going to make you yeah. sneeze. It's it's insect pollinated, so it's probably not blowing in the wind that much. It's a uh, so, but this was the tidbit that I didn't know. Um, I'd heard it was made for snuff, and it made the colonists sneeze when they tried it. But it said the snuff was made uh, to be inhaled to cause sneezing that would supposedly rid the body of evil spirits. So apparently, the sneezing was. I have a feeling the sneezing. They tried to make snuff out at the start. And then they said, "This stuff makes a sneeze. <laughs> it's, we're going to blow the boogeyman out of me." And uh, and then became it was the first the first thing was oh maybe this will give us a little head rush and then it shifted into this is going to get the the evil spirits out. No. I don't think it was uh, originally to get the evil spirits. Now out. I don't know if you're too young to remember this, but when I was a kid, like Bugs Bunny cartoons and Tom and Jerry cartoons, like they had snuff. Like they mm-hmm. would actually like use. Now I remember going, "Where do you get my?" I'm going to get my hands on some of that. <laughs> oh, I, that could be a good uh, – I think I might have used this secret before, but I, that could be a good secret. Um, you just remind me okay. of something later. All right, good, because I don't, I don't have a secret. secret is. Uh, let me just make a little note here on this random it, scrap of paper in front of me. Uh, it has to do with coffee. All right, well, if you have a secret, then this week is your 
All right. their turn because I don't have a secret. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing that was interesting about the botanical name for this plant is the Hellenium and why some people call it Helen's flower. Mm-hmm. In addition to it being who wants to buy a flower named Sneezeweed, you have already has weed in it. So mark down a point there um, for some people, not us, but for some people. And then you have Sneeze, something no one wants to do. Yeah. You associate with allergies. Yeah. So it's a really terrible common name from a a landscape appeal like if i'm going through the garden center i'm like i don't want that one but you have some of the helen's flower oh that sounds pretty beautiful and then you see the picture and it is really beautiful well i guess the other part the hellenium part of the botanical name is um some people speculate it's because of helen of troy which was what the the face that launched a thousand ships so also very beautiful it's a beautiful flower. It's very striking. It's flowering right now in the nursery. It's it's funny because I just had that same conversation with Lori Cleveland, yep. uh, executive director of Sour Lane mm-hmm. Conservancy, and uh, we we're talking about plants for a giveaway. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, we have sneezeweed. I'm sure everyone will want that. She goes, that's why we call it Helen's flower. Yeah. And uh, I should mention why I picked this one. In addition to it looking nice at the nursery here is I was actually driving up to North Jersey uh, the last two days, but yesterday in particular, I noticed it on the side of the road. And even going sixty-five miles down the highway, I'm like, that looks like that looks like sneezeweed. Yeah. I think I'm ninety-nine percent. It was in the right conditions. Uh, it was in an area I would expect to see it. Um, I don't. And think... then I got stuck in some traffic and saw some more. And I'm like, yep, that's I, that's definitely sneezeweed. You can I, just that it's that tooth on the petal that really distinguishes yeah. it um, in that sense. Yeah. So. I don't think I've ever seen it occurring naturally i honestly i hadn't either until yesterday and then i really wanted to get out and take a closer look but i was also 10 minutes late (laughs) that's a great choice uh my choice and and you'll kind of understand why i chose this one uh because you were there last week but uh mine is blue mist flower which is kind of clinium coelestinum formerly eupatorium coelestinum um but we had a seed symposium at at the nursery mm-hmm. last week, and that was in full splendor, and it kind of uh, drew everyone's attention. Uh, there were tons of pollinator on it. Plus, my listener shout out, which I'll do later, also said this was their favorite native plant. So I thought, I thought I'd throw mm-hmm. that in. But um, I'm going to use the description from Wildflower.org, yeah. um, which is mist flower grows to three feet high, but often lower with leaves opposite, opposite somewhat triangular in shape, and bluntly toothed. At the top of the plant, the branches with their short stem clusters of flowers form an almost flat top. Disc flowers are bright blue or violet, about a quarter inch long. There are no ray flowers. Blue mist flower attracts bees and butterflies. However, this wildflower spreads quickly and become can become a pest. Uh, flowers July through November, great sub for the annual ageratum, uh, native about to about 50% of the uh, continental U.S., uh, and it does take sun and part shade. So it does very much uh, resemble the flower of uh, mm-hmm. the annual ageratum. So if you're trying to uh, you know, kind of work with a neighbor to help them maybe not use one thing and use something native, like that's something where it comes back every year and they can enjoy it. It, it, can, it can spread a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't no, I've, it I've super aggressive, it. but – I wouldn't say it's been aggressive in my garden. It's been almost similar to um, cardinal flower has been for me. Okay. Where I plant it in one spot, and it was there for a little bit, and then it disappeared. And then all of a sudden it started popping up in other places. And how I garden, 
I don't mind. Although my wife and I were talking and um, the other day, this is uh, this is yesterday, and uh, we came to the conclusion uh, that we gotta we got to make it get a little more curb appeal. It's uh, this year with the drought. It didn't look good. <laughs> it was looking really good, and then everything dried out, and I didn't water it. Why would I do that? And um, yeah, we need a little bit more curb appeal. So, and I want to practice what we preach. One, like I want to make sure it's all native plants or almost entirely native plants. And then, um, so I got a. I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing when I started. And I'm like, yeah, I can see why people wouldn't like this. And I want to make this a good representation so that people who come up to our house and say, "Oh, I want my house to look like that," not. Oh, it's wild and crazy, and it looks like Benjamin Vokes yard. Not a bad thing, yeah. but there's people who are going to not just not, not like, like that. that. Yeah. So now I know a little bit more what I'm doing. So I'm gonna uh, and I'm gonna reach out to some some specialists and, and get some insight. And now's a good time this fall. You know, especially for us in the Northeast, we experienced a pretty heavy drought mm-hmm. this year. So a lot of the invasives. Are kind of like you see them; they're hurting a little bit. They're kind of knocked back a little bit. You can get a head start on some of the invasives, you know. And remember, whenever you're taking invasives out, you almost have to have a plan of what you're putting there. Because if you just mm-hmm. have disturbed open soil, you're going to get invasives coming right back in. So it's like a little bit of a blessing that you see them hurting right yep. now. That you can get a head start, but have a plan. Make sure you put something else in. Mm-hmm. These are two great choices moving forward. Like yeah. especially if you have an, an area that you want to fill pretty quickly, I think. The coalescinum is a or coalescin mm-hmm. coalescinum. Another thing with Hellenium. these is is they're both relatively short. Yeah. Um, the helenium can get bigger. Kind of climb. I've, sorry, and I should say, I said I keep saying helenium. I've also heard people call it helenium. I don't know um, which is which. It's it's based off of Helen and Troy. So why would it be helenium? You know, <laughs> oh, her that's name true. Helene. Well, maybe it was Helene, uh, and we've been reading it wrong. <laughs> um, so it's uh, they're two that can be relatively short. So if you don't want something that can be, like, really big and overwhelming, um, choices, yeah. they can be good choices. There. The, the Hellenium can get a bit taller, but a lot of times I'll see it as about three feet tall. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. Two great choices. So make sure you, uh, you add one of those to your garden this year. Yeah. All right, Fran. I think it's time to move on to the butt-kicking portion of, uh, <laughs> of today's events. So let's get on to this or that. So I did a double check uh, right before he we went on so I could have a an accurate victory count. So we do have a winner. The winner is Tom, 13 to 8. Uh, that's actually incorrect, oh. man. I was just checking as well, yeah. and it's uh, currently 15 to 8. Oh, all so. right. It was 11 to 8 like a day ago or yeah. two days ago. I'll be honest. I thought you were going to beat me my much more than that because I really, I really enjoyed your article. I thought it was – of particular interest to our mm-hmm. our audience or our listener base, so I I'm I'm impressed. I got as many votes as I did. I didn't think I would get yeah, that. No, many. I think we both had really good articles. And Frame, what were those articles? Yeah, based? I saw. They weren't I the Washington but, Post. No. Mine was about uh, how there's a the petition, petition to ban uh, invasive plants at Home Depot, and mine was uh, opportunities for businesses to shift That's towards right. that was towards Forbes. native plants yeah. in Forbes. Yeah, yeah. so. Two two great articles, but you did come out a winner again this week, so you get to pick. It's been a while since since you've won. I think only two I weeks. I went on a stretch th- like this too. I think it's only been two weeks. Okay, maybe you had one one win there, but I, there's a there's a period we before that that you hadn't won too. Oh, I I didn't win for like the first four months of the yeah. year. Yeah. So it was a big drought. Yeah. So I'm hoping this doesn't. You're turn like into the Cleveland that. Browns. 
of this or that. <laughs> you have a few good, few good weeks back. <laughs> it's their year this year. It's their year. Heard, yeah, uh, if you are a football fan, listen to this. Um, I think I heard the Cleveland Browns. This is the first time they've been one and zero since like two thousand five. Wow. The first, the first time they've so. You think about what's changed since then. This is the first time they've ever been able to tweet that they're one and zero. That's true. That's true. Yeah, pretty uh, good for them. Good for them. All right, you want to go first or you want to go um, last? I'll go first because I I've been enjoying going first. All right, awesome. Um, and mine, I actually put the whole article in here because it's very interesting but relatively short. Okay. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then. Uh, and if I get too long, friend, you can cut me off. But interesting, I'm, I'm just gonna read reading. the whole thing and then uh, then just kind of give some of my thoughts on it because I think it's a really really cool article. Awesome. This was from Anthropocene Magazine Online, which is uh, anthropocenemagazine.org, and um, the title of the article was "A Three Decade Study Shows How Reviving Bison Herds Revives Prairies uh, Even Better Than Cattle." Wow. Which is an interesting right. little tidbit that was in there too. So. Restoring bison to the grasslands of the Great Plains has become something of a cause. I don't know what that word is. To celebrate uh, is what I'm going to assume it means. Um, cel- cel- celebrate. There's a lot of accents and no yeah, nuance. that's an interesting <laughs> choice of so, words. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm screwed up already. Uh, I was going to say I know I have never seen that before. <laughs> I guess I could th- thesaurus it. Where where's that on here? I don't even know. If you want to go, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll look. Oh, define it. There we go. Uh, it means it's a noun. So the word is spelled C E with a line going one way, then L E with a line going the other way, and then B R E. Celebrate is it, what it, I would say. It says um, uh, a controversial issue that attracts a great deal of public attention. Yes. Suddenly, saving the station's architectural integrity became a cause of cello. Cause oh man, I can't even pronounce like the I think pronunciation. It's guys. I think it's celebrate. Like it's got a no. It's got a. It's like cause. Cause a, cause a I have no idea. This is really bad podcasting right now. It's anyway, a, oh, of, of a cause celebre. It's a whole. It's of a, a phrase. I, I'm thinking of a, a cause celebre. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, cause celebre. Celebre. Yeah. Celebre. Okay. Cause celebre. We've yeah. spent enough time on go. that word. Embraced by Northern Plains Tribes Conservationists and the National Park Service, it turns out it could help revive not just these photogenic animals, but less romantic native plants, or more romantic, depends on who you are, yes. uh, native plants <laughs> that once covered much of the Midwest. Today, both, I, a little aside here, I've never considered bison romantic. Uh, I guess it's like nostal- the romantic, I, nostalgic, I can, nostalgic of the, of I the old say. west. I can see yeah. that, but uh, I, I uh, romantic is not a word I would have picked. Yeah, for maybe bison. You're, you're getting your engagement photos, kissing in front of a, oh. a bison herd <laughs> <laughs> amongst the wildflowers. Who cares about the romance there? Just the bison. Um, so today, both the iconic bison and the tall grass prairies are tiny remnants of their grandeur at the start of the 19th century. Before guns and plows took their toll, bison herds numbered in the tens of millions traversed the Great Plains, including 150 million acres extending from Manitoba to Texas covered with prairie grass that could grow above a person's head. uh, Systematic slaughter, abetted by the U.S. government with the aim of depriving native tribes of their main food source, drove bison numbers to below 1,000 by the end of the century. Meanwhile, meanwhile, settlers plowed under more than 80% of the native prairie. Because the bison disappeared before ecologists were on the scene, scientists have a limited understanding of how these massive animals shape the surrounding landscape. 
But as the possibility of reviving bison herds has grown, so has interest in what it can mean for the prairie. There is perhaps no better place to answer these questions than the Kanza Prairie Biological Station, 8,600 acres of native tall grass prairie in the rolling Flint Hills region of eastern Kansas, co-owned by Kansas State University and the Nature Conservancy. 30 years ago, scientists there began what has grown into a long-running experiment to better understand how bison and their smaller domestic counterparts, cattle, can shape a native prairie. Uh, A small herd of bison, eventually growing to more than 120 animals, lived year-round in one section of the research station. In another area, cattle grazed between April and November, but were removed and given supplemental food during the winter, mimicking how cattle are typically managed. Other areas weren't grazed at all. The land that was periodically burned, or the land was periodically burned to simulate the fires that occurred on the prairies before European-American settlers arrived. Each year, researchers scored 80 small squares, or scoured 80 small squares of prairie grazed by the bison in uh, comparable spots in the other areas, counting all the plants they could find. As the years progressed, a pattern emerged, where bison grave the amount of four dominant grass species declined as the animals mulched, uh, munched away. As the grass was mown back, other native prairie plants took root, including the yellow-flowered stiff goldenrod and perennial grasses. Over the course of three decades, the number of native, uh, native plant species nearly doubled in places grazed by bison, increasing 86% compared to the ungrazed areas, according to a study published Monday in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Our results suggest that many, uh, many grasslands in the central Great Plains have substantially lower plant biodiversity than they would have occurred before bison were widely wiped out, said Zach uh, Radizak, a Kansas state biologist. You may be wondering how I can pronounce that name. <laughs> that <last> name. <laughs> and it's because I had a friend with the same uh, last uh, name. Really? <laughs> All right. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a reason I was able to pronounce Radizak with a C and a J in it. Zach Radizak. <laughs> and uh, I'm yeah. not able to pronounce it. That's a great last names like listen, Smith that and, is a uh, great, and Barnes. That's a great so. name, Zach. That sounds like a, something out of a Tribe Called Quest rap. <laughs> so, Zach Radizak. Uh, it's Zach Radizak, a Kansas State biologist leading the research. Uh, returning or rewilding native megafauna could help restore grass on biodiversity. Cattle also help clear the way for native plants, but less than bison, an increase of 30% compared to land that wasn't grazed. The scientists weren't certain why the cattle had less effect, but they noted that other studies found bison almost exclusively ate grasses while cattle dined on a wider variety of plants, potentially including some that grew back around bison. Also, bison created larger or greater habitat variety in the landscape by churning up the ground in places, such as circular depressions that can fill with water, known as buffalo wallows. The bison's effects on the prairie uh, flora even withstood an intense drought in 2011 and 2012. While some native species in the bison-grazed prairie took a hit in the years immediately around the drought, they bounce back, and the number of native species continued to rise. That said, or that said, Zach means the reintroduction of bison could also help prairies uh, buffeted by the effects of climate change. The resilience we found in the bison grasslands is also consistent with the idea that diversity promotes ecological resilience. Radizak said, and the uh, resilience will only become more important if our climate becomes more extreme. That's a and uh, that's a really interesting study because yeah, I mean, bison have been long gone before we studied. Yeah, these oh, types yeah. Of things. So we didn't know exactly for sure, but we can see it even in the modern day. Um, and it's it's an important thing to note that not only did you have returns with bison, but also with cattle. I think I was just watching a, a movie called Gather that was on Netflix, and it's about indigenous um, food uh, stuff that was going on. Okay. Basically how indigenous tribes would have relationships with food, especially... Uh, native plant foods. Okay. And um, really interesting 
film friend, you don't have Netflix, but anyone who does have Netflix, it's something I'd recommend you watch. Just it it doesn't embrace like it's not like oh we need more native plants, yeah. but it talks about some native plants and how native tribes would have used them. Um, but one of the components there was actually a, a Native American family that had started a buffalo ranch, and they were bringing the buffalo back, but also in a way to to help the prairie at the same time. And I think they were in Wyoming, okay. I want to say. Um, so it was just fascinating watching that. And I've heard there's a big push now. Someone even just posted about it in our group about with regenerative agriculture and how, yeah, you can't always use bison, but cattle will also have that return. Um, and there's ways to graze cattle. Now, you don't get as much... I don't want to say, like, you're not going to have a cattle get the size as fast, but you're doing it in a more ecologically sound way where you're actually using a native ecosystem with a non-native animal, in this case, with the cattle, but you're building soil, and then you're using the land in different ways to, um, you're not just, I guess in that sense of regenerative agriculture, you're usually not just a cattle farmer. You have a lot of other stuff going on that's going to utilize the ground in different ways including the cattle. So uh, there's a guy, Dan Barber, who's been doing this for a long time. He's a chef in New York City. And he's like, oh, I have the cattle, but then I have the chickens because they're going to eat stuff that's in the cow poop. And then, oh, I need more places for the cattle to go. They want to get under the trees and it's too thick. So I'm going to introduce goats. And then, and now all this stuff is eventually going to his restaurants. Yeah. Like the milk from the cows is being used in the restaurants and the goats are being used in the restaurants and the chickens and the eggs are being used in the restaurants. Um, and then he'll introduce uh, different uh, different kinds of like vegetable crops in these kind of these kind of things too. So it's a really unique thing where you can have a food system with bison or cattle, but also have it be ecologically sound, where it's not just stripping away from the land, it's actually rejuvenating the land and ending up in our supermarkets. So it's just a it it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's cool to see how bison which were there in the millions for and millions of years. Another little side note is bison, with bison, I have one of my favorite uh, scientific names is uh, bison, bison, bison. I, so they're family <laughs> species and the subspecies. Bison, bison, bison. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting seeing how things that were here for a million years or, or at least tens of thousands of years, or if not hundreds of thousands of years, were able to give back to the land that they haven't been on for a hundred years. And it makes you think of what we've missed or what we've been mm-hmm. missing since yeah. since that doesn't all exist the to the of, same extent extent all in the name of manifest destiny yes yeah. yes totally so that was a great article i i love yours again this so mine is mine kind of follows up on yours last week which i thought was interesting mm-hmm. um mine is called the world's worst invasive weed is sold at many u.s garden centers uh and this is by david uh and Fran, I'll say you're lucky because this was going to be my article. Was it really? And I saw you had it uh, in wow. here. Like, Rats, I, I can't use that one. So uh, it's by David Kindy or Kindy uh, from the Smithsonian Magazine. Yeah. Um, that would have been an interesting approach if I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go first and then just took Did my own. article? <laughs> I'll, have been... the, I'll have to keep that in my back pocket. Uh, I'll have to <laughs> quick, quick Google. Um Let's see. Let's start. Um, it's a it's a very short article, actually. A homeowner heads to the garden center to buy ornamental grass for the yard. They plant it, thinking it's a good way to green things up, only to find the new variety soon takes over the garden bed and spreads to other yards. It's a common problem with 
Congen grass, uh, labeled one of the world's worst invasive weeds by the United States Department of Agriculture and banned by federal legislation. Also, it's also a growing issue, reports a new study by the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Researchers discovered that is it Congen Congen grass? Yep, uh, that's yeah, all I've always yeah. said is Congen grass. Okay, uh, and nearly one thousand three hundred other invasive plants are currently being sold in nurseries, garden centers, and online retailers around the country. A number of these species are banned by the federal Noxious Weed Act, as well as by state regulations. Congen grass is by far the most concerning case of federally designated noxious weed sales. Lead author Evelyn M. Beery. Um, a graduate student in orga- or, uh, organismic. Is that how? I was looking up how to okay. pronounce And evolutionary Congress. biology at UMass says in a statement, she and her colleagues found that Imperata cylindrica was being sold by 33 vendors in 17 states. So I don't know if you're familiar with um, Imperatica. Uh, back in the 90s and 80s, Imperata cylindrica rubra which is uh, Japanese bloodgrass, was a very popular low-growing grass that people would buy, like large swaths of it. Like mm-hmm. that was, oh man, back in the early 90s, like selling like thousands of them. Like What was the the, na- the common name you were just using? Uh, Japanese bloodgrass for mm-hmm. the rubra. Uh, okay. Uh, Imperata cylindrica rubra. Okay, so, that, okay, so Imperata cylindrica is the... Botanical name for Congen grass, too. Okay, all right. Yeah. So rubra is Japanese blood grass. So yep. it's just yeah, another I saw other con- yeah. common names are, are, uh, are Japanese blood grass, red barren grass. Red barren yeah. grass, I remember, yeah, totally. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is a tricky case because plant breeders are marketing a sterile cultivar, she adds, but research shows these plants are not completely sterile and can become invasive. And, and I've, we've witnessed that. There were people, like not just for this plant, but uh, – for lithrum, saying, oh, it's a it's a sterile variety, and it turned out not to be the case. Um, native to Southeast Asia, Congen grass is now established in several states. Eradication is difficult and costly. According to the USDA, there are no known effective biological control methods, reports Cheryl Santamaria for the uh, Weather Network. Published in the peer-reviewed journal Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment, the study, res- uh, the study searched Google and a database of nursery catalogs to identify invasive plants still being sold in the United States. The information was gathered from 1,330 nursery- nurseries, garden centers, and online retailers, including Amazon and eBay. The researchers discovered that 61% of the 1,285 invasive plant species remain available through the plant trade including 50% of the state-regulated species and 20% of federal noxious weeds, reports Chrissy Sexton of Earth.com. One particularly problematic plant is European frogbit, which is banned in Wisconsin and other states. The lily pad-like species was once used as an ornamental planting but was outlawed because of its ability to take over ponds and choke out other vegetation. Once introduced, natural dispersal is also uh, – also possible given its ability to overwinter and spread rapidly, Amanda Smith, an invasive species specialist with the, with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, tells Kent Tempest of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Other invasive species being sold include Japanese barberry, Chinese privet, white-top Norway maple, Brazilian pepper tree, Russian olive, garlic mustard, yellow star thistle, Canada thistle, kudzu, and Johnson grass, among others, the study states. Researchers report – the proliferation of these plants continued due to the inconsistent approach to enforcement by federal and state regulators. However, the study concludes that consumers need to be more aware of what they are buying. 
While patchy state regulations definitely contribute to the widespread availability of invasive plants in the U.S., it's clear we as a public also lack awareness about which plants are invasive and how they spread to new areas. One good thing, the study is generating interest by enforcement agencies who want to crack down on illegal sales. We've already heard from the state regulators that have used our results to follow up with growing sell, uh, growers selling invasive species, Beery says in the report. This is great news, and if we want to continue to protect native ecosystems, regulators and managers need to need more resources to do so. Um, you know, and we've talked about this on on so many different fronts. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week with your article. You know, having Home Depot ban sell invasives is, is a good step, mm-hmm. but it's not going to solve the problem because growers keep growing it and people keep buying it. That's the real. To me, that's yeah. that's the most important piece of that puzzle is that if the consumer is uneducated and continues to buy things that are bad, growers are going to continue growing it because they're going to make money. Mm-hmm. So growers aren't going to grow something that they can't sell yeah, <laughs> or they're going to try not to. So um, if you really want to make a difference, don't buy that – those plants. Mm-hmm. So it's just how do you get those words out there? Like – it's not like you see billboards for everything. You don't see a billboard about invasives. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's got to be some kind of marketing reach that that reaches homeowners in a way that they'll take notice to it. Yep. I, I mm-hmm. don't know what that is, but yeah, it's uh, if I if I knew I'd I'd be a millionaire, or at least a hundred thousandaire. But uh, yeah, it's um, you know what be an interesting marketing technique? Like say you had a garden center, mm-hmm. um. And you didn't carry – like you you were ecologically responsible and you didn't carry any invasives. And I'm not saying you have to carry all natives. I'm just saying no invasives. Like have them as like wanted posters like you would find in the post office, mm-hmm. like wanted this you know, uh, noxious weed, blah, blah, blah. Like it would at least bring people's attention in mm-hmm. a place where they're buying plants. Like, hey, this is a bad plant. You yeah. don't want to buy that. Now, one of the ways I've seen this kind of done – and I don't know if it was 100% effective because it – but at the Philadelphia Flower Show two years ago, there was an exhibit that had some invasive species. Um, and what they did to identify them as invasive species is they painted them hot pink. From a distance, you see this hot pink stuff. And I'm like, ooh, that – oh, there's some really cool, tall, feathery grass, and it's hot pink. I want to come check that out. Yeah. And you know it's painted hot pink, but you're like – it made the grass attractive. And it was Phragmites. And um, and I don't. You had to read the signs to see, oh, they're painted pink because they're invasive. they're invasive species, and it's highlighting these are bad things. Yeah. It literally was supposed to look like someone took a highlighter and said, "This yeah. is the bad stuff. That's, this is the good stuff." Yeah. And um, but I don't know how many people actually read the signs and said, "Oh yeah, that's." I'm sure there's people who just read the plant name and said, "Oh, that's Phragmites. That's cool." But that was a way to really identified this is bad this is good it was just if you got to that far yeah it's, i don't know how you do it like I don't a lot know. of people don't, they don't care about that they just want something they want something for the aesthetic reasons and they don't think about whether it's invasive or not no i think I, that you'd have to part of me thinks that the better like to just get rid of invasive plants would help the issue or would yeah. solve the issue in one way from garden centers, they couldn't carry them. But I almost feel like it would be better if you had those plants and they just had a big 
like a big mark on them in the garden center saying, hey, this is bad, buy at your own risk. Because how many people are going to, oh, I guess people buy stuff like people that all the time that has, yeah, <laughs> says, yeah. oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't consume this No, and you shouldn't buy this. Like I'm even thinking even a wanted poster probably sends the wrong picture. Yeah. Like, like it should be a not wanted poster, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, and it's like you have the plant and it's like multi-flora rose. It's, it's Phragmites, you know, and these are the things that it does and it's invasive and you're not supposed mm-hmm. to buy this plant. I think uh, if you see it in a garden center for people that are captive audience that – are buying plant material, maybe mm-hmm. it sinks in a little bit more. I, yeah. I don't know. Just a thought. And part of me wonders too, like if we had a magic wand and we could get rid of all the like get rid of all the invasive plants that are in the landscape, get rid of all the invasive plants that are in garden centers, how long would it take before we start had more new invasive plants starting to inf- impact our ecosystem? Yeah. If we were cuz you just you have people out there that are don't think they're doing the wrong thing, but they are doing the wrong thing. Who are going to? They're going on a trip to Thailand. They're, they're going to, and they see something cool, and they bring home a, like a. They take a little cutting of it, or they grab a whole bunch of seeds, and then they're bringing it on the airplane. And like, you're even uh, if you do that, you're supposed to report it customs. Oh, no one I does. I know for a and fact. it's like people do it all the time. That's how that's, the, that's how um, Purple Dome Aster yeah. was brought in from Korea. Like I, I'm not going to say who, but like that was smuggled in from Korea because yeah. someone's like, oh, look at that this. Was, um, with uh with tea and with like i guess that was part of something the the british did is they like had a guy pretend to be a chinese person and like was in china for like a couple years collecting tea plants and then bringing them and then eventually brought them to india which was still a british colony at that time so that they could still have tea without going through china like people the plant smuggling industry has been huge for a long time but um, but I wonder, like, say, Tree of Heaven. Yeah. I wonder how many Tree of Heaven are planted compared to the amount that are removed on a yearly basis. Yeah. Or maybe I something, or maybe something like Japanese bloodgrass or some uh, burning bush. How many mm-hmm. burning bush are planted compared to the amount yeah. that are removed every year? Or Japanese barberry. Those are probably the two biggest. Mm-hmm. You know, or Rosa Sharon. You yeah. know, it's. I, I bet you there's as many being planted as being removed. Mm-hmm. If not more, like I'd love to know those numbers. So you're never going to get ahead. Like yeah. you're doing all this, and you're not. You know, it would be another good gorilla uh, movement. If we can we can do this in at the same time as my gorilla movement. I said last year mm-hmm. or last week is is we come up with new names for for these like tree of heaven has a yeah. new common name anyway called tree of hell. Yeah, um, and then we just make all these plant tags. And we go to the garden centers. We start labeling them with all these these new names. What's a good one for for Japanese barberry? Is like uh, I can't think of one. Oh, my head. I'll, I'll think but of it. Like thorns that pop up everywhere, oh. <laughs> like that. But yeah, yeah. that that's a good idea for our group. We have a lot of creative people, more creative than us, in our Facebook group. Is come up with new. That's bad names for say, these. This is like an impromptu contest. I don't know what the prize will be. Come up with bad names for for some of these invasive plants, and then, uh, well, I know something. We're working on. We're working. <laughs> I'm on thinking some of stickers. some, but none of which that I can. <laughs> like <laughs> we're working on stickers. So whoever, so when these stickers actually come out, which shouldn't be yeah. too long, when these stickers come out, we'll we'll send whoever comes up with the best, and it can be multiple. Whoever comes best up with the best uh, new bad common names for all these invasive plants. 
um, we're going to send you some stickers. Like Burning Bush so. should be Burning STD. <laughs> that was only one of the few yeah. I could actually say. That was probably the tamest. That one was the tamest one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I think that would be a, a fun little thing. I'm going to be racking my brain all night now, just saying, "Hey, what's some what's some good common names we can have?" No, that's I, I think that's a great idea. So, um, and don't be. We don't want to use. Um, this is one of the things with uh, in that's. It's been an important part of the invasive plant message, um, and I think awareness was rose over uh, COVID too. Is you have a lot of these these native plant or not invasive plants that have names from the places they're from. Yeah. You've Japanese silkgrass, Japanese barberry, Chinese silvergrass. Well, think about butterfly bush, it's, which is or yeah. butterfly bush, which is an invasive, banned invasive in, in yeah. many states. Like it has such a great name, mm-hmm. you have to. But I guess what I was saying is it's not it's not reflective of where it came from and the culture and the people where it came from. Europeans are the one who brought all this stuff here for the most part. Um, so uh, and colonists were, were what brought this over, and Americans brought this stuff back here. So um, when you're coming up with these very creative names, remember that we don't want to we don't want to get into the the places where it could be offensive to uh, yes. the people. Yes. So. Um, but two yeah. two great articles. Uh, so make sure this will be posted over the weekend. Uh, make sure you vote for for Tom's article on um, uh, bison and and uh, plant. Uh, what's what's uh, uh, prairie regeneration? Prairie regeneration. Sorry, I couldn't. I was I was blanking on regeneration or mine on uh, world's worst uh, invasive weed sold at many U.S. garden centers. So uh, you have the choice, and the choice is yours. Right. How's that for? Uh, yeah, you should have used, uh, used it. Right. You, you have the choice, and then you can hit it. Yeah. You have the choice. And of course, the choice is it works. All right, and it's all right. It's, I don't know. Yeah. We'll go back. Listener shoutouts? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Listener, listener, shout out. So mine is blank for what you wrote, so I'm curious to oh, what mine, you have. Yeah, mine's blank on what I wrote, too. Because oh. we didn't get any five star reviews that I needed to bring we up. We didn't, so you're not going to give it. Uh, no I'll, I'll, I'll have to think of somebody while you go. So uh, I had one for you the other day, and I don't remember who it is now. But um, mine is we. I, I just mentioned we had the seed summit, and uh, one of our <clears throat> one of our customers who visited, uh, Gina DeMeo, uh, mentioned that she was a fan of not just the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, but also a Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran, and. Uh, it was her suggestion for um, blue mist flower. She was saying that was her favorite mm-hmm. native plant, and it was in full splendor during this too. So it was great. So it was. It's, it's always nice when anyone says they're a listener. It, it's it's nice when we're at work and it's a customer uh, and they come in and say, "Hey, I'm I'm a listener." I was going to say you can use the gentleman that tagged us on on uh, LinkedIn about the uh, seer tour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had another one in the meantime. Okay. Um, but uh, so we had uh, we had a little customer party the other night, yeah. and um, and the folks from Kind Earth Growers who were there uh, said, "Oh, we listen to your podcast in the in, in our like work area in our greenhouses all the really? time. Like we have it on all the time, which is really cool to That's hear it in another cool nursery." Here, yeah. And I I retorted and said, "I at least I'm paid to listen to Fran all day. <laughs> <laughs> like you're doing a fine choice." <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're subjecting their employees to it. Yeah, yeah. Like that just seems like torture. You know exactly that's a, what it's like to work at, at Island's uh, Nursery. That's a hostile work environment, poss- yeah. quite possibly. But no, yeah. that's a great one. I didn't know if um, – I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. Uh, so we also hosted a tour of the Society of Ecological Restoration um, what was that? Two weeks ago? We've uh, been really two, busy. Three, yeah, two, three, yeah. and um, uh, they got a tour of. Well, they were they were given a, a great talk by Marty McHugh from uh, Sumco Eco Contracting. It was uh, Rob Watcher. What? I don't know how to say that. I'm or, able to pronounce Radizak, but I can't pronounce <laughs> W A C H T E R. Wachter. 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 So and. Uh, uh, Rob had posted on LinkedIn and had tagged Pinelands Nursery um, and Tom and some other of our customers, Bill Young, mm-hmm. um, just saying what a wonderful tour it was. And he was happy to see uh, a lot of the great things that we're doing at the nursery, but also mentioned at the end that he's discovered the uh, mm-hmm. native, native Plants Healthy Planet and he's been listening to it regularly and kind of asked people to give it a listen because of how much he enjoys it. So it was nice, nice seeing that on a professional Social media mm-hmm. post, yep. uh, and that's always appreciated too. Yep. So a lot of good feedback. A lot of, a lot of people. We we had a, not really a customer, but someone stopped in today saying they're an avid mm-hmm. listener of the yeah. podcast, yeah. and then they mistook me for you. Yeah, so they thought they were talking to you. Yeah. They it's okay. Didn't seem as eh, it seemed a little disappointed. Well, how did it I'm feel like, to oh, be not- to be that <laughs> handsome for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seemed a little disappointed <laughs> yeah. when he found out. I was like, oh, you're Fran. Oh, so but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but thank you to our listeners that we always we always like hearing when someone listens it just kind of not validates yeah. but just it's we know people are listening but it's nice to hear that people are listening oh yeah exactly so Fran I have a I have a, a small complaint oh if you want to play the jingle sure all right what do you got and this is this is like me being really nitpicky all right but how do you feel about and the, the only reason I bring it up is that someone had it happened to me the other day when you're talking about plants and there's a, a faction of people who describe plants that attract pollinators as pollinators like oh I planted a bunch of pollinators mm. and I'm like oh, it's not really the plant the the plants attract pollinators they aren't the pollinators. I don't know. This is like like I'm saying. No, this is really no, you know this what? Is something that it's, bugs me. It, it's something that when you said it, like, like the hair stood up on the back yeah. of my neck just a little bit, like just thinking about it. You know, and it's it's not something I would probably ever correct. Someone oh yeah, on. I don't either. I didn't. But when it happened the other yeah, day. it's not like you're planting a monarch. Yeah. you know, you're, you're planting plants that attract. You're planting native plants that attract yeah. pollinators. Yeah, and may I? Or you could say. I, you know, I planted a pollinator garden. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's that's a that's an. Or I planted term. pollinator plants. We didn't yeah. plant pollinators. Very short, nitpicky complaint. If you're planting native plants, <laughs> pollinators, I appreciate it no matter what you call them. <laughs> but you know, but it was just yeah. I was just like, huh. I don't. I wonder know, how many people do this. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say that. But when as soon as you said it, it kind of like ruffled my feathers a little bit. Like oh, um, you know. Like, but you know, here's the thing. Anyone that that wants to take a step in this direction, I appreciate it, and I would probably never correct them unless it was someone I knew well enough to, you know, 
to to do it without offending them. Mm-hmm. But I would probably never interrupt yeah. someone and say, mm, "You may not want to say that." Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It's just it's something that sh- strikes me off a but little he, bit. But here's the funny thing: that's something that we wouldn't correct someone on. But I'll correct them if they say a plant name wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm huh. not necessarily sure if I'm right. It has to be like mispronounced so badly that I'll step in and pronounce it. I wouldn't say you're wrong. It's this. I would just say it properly. Yeah. You know, like if they're struggling, you step in like it's almost like you're you're helping. Yeah. 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 Maybe I maybe oh, I should and say you I do that on the phone all the time because yeah. you have people who just aren't familiar with the names. I wasn't familiar on how to say I'd still not celebrate <laughs> celebrate. I don't no idea. I. Someone's going to write, oh, my wife's an English teacher. I should have just texted her. <laughs> and the thing is, I saw that when I was reading the article. I'm like, I'm going to have to remember how to pronounce that and look that up. And I forgot in between when I put the article in and when we did it. I had never seen that that phrase before. Either. So that's a new and one And I would me. not have, have gotten the definition right on it either. Yeah. But um, – No, but that's – you know, I, I understand why that would – would just irks me perturb but it's not yeah. like yeah. it's a it's a very mild complaint. it's mild so i'm like why the heck am i complaining about this yeah it's like eh, yeah. it's really you know i'm sure there's other instances i could i can't think of them right now but i know there's other little things that kind of rub me the wrong way next time one comes up i'll write it down yeah for so we can yeah. say a list of little yeah we <laughs> can change this this segment from <laughs> Fran's complaints to Tom's petty corner or something. <laughs> Listen, we're just leaving it Tom's petty. We, <laughs> then, yeah, you got a good music playing. Where's <laughs> yeah, we really haven't complained, no. so we're allowed every now and then. We're allowed to to throw that out there. So, um, I don't have any. There were no questions into the question or comment line, but I see you do have a grow read book. Grow read a book. I like books. So what do you got? Yeah, so I I mentioned when we had Terry Doss on how she was saying how she all these books that she recommended to us and I hadn't read any of them. Um and I haven't this yet this week. <laughs> but I did mention I have been reading a lot of books. Uh they just happen to be children's books. Yeah. So I wanted to include one of them there because I know some of our listeners have kids yeah, around the same age as, as my son or a little bit older. A little bit older would probably be the right demographic for this book because it's a little bit more complex. My dad got it for my son um, because he knew the author, uh, and it was written by a woman named Anne English. Okay. And the title of it is A is for Aquifer, and it's an alphabet book, but it tackles a lot of, like, waterish questions uh, or waterish terms. So uh, in the book A is for Aquifer, when you go to page four or five, whatever the first page of the alphabet is, uh, you have A is for aquifer, and then it's kind of rhymes, and it says water that seeps in the ground, whatever, whatever. Mm. The next one is uh, is a word my my son actually has so he can say aquifer now. Okay, so he's a little less or a little over two. He can say aquifer. Very amazed that he can it, <laughs> he can't say what the word for B is yet because uh, that word is bentho macroinvertebrates. <laughs> 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 but you go through the book, and you'll have like. Uh, riparian buffer and in terms we're using on the podcast a lot i there's terms that i wasn't familiar with um that were in there and i learned from so as a parent you're learning from this book and it's to me it was um not only uh showing my son some more like higher level technical terms yeah um not that he needs to know them right now he's not going to go around to his friends and say oh look at my truck 
<laughs> you want to read about bath or macro or I can't remember. Bento macro, Bento macro invertebrates. He's not going to do any of that, but um, it, it's going to help with child diction in that yeah. sense. But it also teaches them a lot about ecological terms and just ecology as a whole and how these water systems work. So we mentioned, or I mentioned at the end of the last episode, like what gets you out in nature. So many of our guests have that story of when they were a kid and like they were a kid and they liked playing outside because they liked watching the birds or bats or playing with the bumblebees or that kind of thing. They had that story that brought them outside. And I feel like so many people aren't in this field because they don't have that story. A book is a great way to get a child interested in the outdoors. And I think this is a book that could do that because it has really awesome pictures. I don't remember who the illustrator was. But it's really awesome pictures that are depicting what the the ABC word is for each thing. Um, yeah, just really unique book too. And like I said, I that's learned a, from it as well. That's a great idea. It made me think like other fun things you could do. And th- this may already exist. Like you know, like uh, my kids had we'd go on a long road trip, and it'd be mm-hmm. like road trip bingo. Yeah. Like if you saw this, sign, like a uh, mm-hmm. a fifty five mile an hour speed limit sign or something yeah. like that. Like if you did a, a native plant bingo, mm-hmm. so if you're going for a nature hike. Did we talk about this before? No. I feel like yeah. like native plant bingo, you put like yeah, a bunch of good photos one. of native plants mm-hmm. with the name. Yeah. And like even, they can cross them off even as you go. Expand it a little bit from or native wild, plants to just like uh like outdoor or hiking bingo and it's like Did you did you find a, a leaf on the ground? Yeah. Like and then like what kind of leaf was it kind of stuff? And then it's like, Oh, did you see any animal poop? And yeah. just like uh, yeah, you start yeah. Yeah. kids. Kids love poop. They do. So they do. It's That's uh, true. That would definitely get some kids involved. You get yeah. some some poop on the bingo card. So we, here's another million million dollar idea for someone to create. Yeah, like these ecological, and it may already exist. Mm-hmm. Ecological bingo games for kids, just to make it more enjoyable yeah. and a, and a learning experience where they they can take something away from it. Mm-hmm. So and maybe like there's a plant fact about each thing on the back like yeah. if it's a certain flower you, you know like say you saw milkweed like mm-hmm. this is a favorite of monarchs yep. you know blah 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 yeah. something like that so a million dollar idea oh yeah all right take it or leave it um and we kind of really expanded on on this and i didn't mean to <laughs> oh yeah you guess but right. but i was thinking about after reading the article that i selected about sterile cultivars mm-hmm. and we hear this term in the trade all the time the problem is it's it kind of reminds me of Jurassic Park when they talk about all the all the dinosaurs are engineered to be female, but then they find a way nature finds a way and genetically some of them uh revert to being a male. You know, it's mm-hmm. like even though you could say it's a sterile cultivar, that doesn't mean it necessarily is or that it stays that way. And I just kind of feel like it's just another marketing ploy to keep a plant that people are already selling and known. So how do you feel about the idea of a st- – I mean we, we discuss cultivars yeah. all the time. How do you feel about the idea of a sterile cultivar? Um, it's something I'm torn on because if we were able to develop some of the stuff, oh, yeah, that it's a, it's a great alternative. I have a friend, and they talk about Japanese barberry. It's a really, in their mind, it's a necessary plant for the home landscape, especially in New Jersey, because of its deer resistance. Um, 
it, well, I guess it's got four season interest in a way yeah. that some people, yeah. not me, I don't like it, but, and then it has deer resistance, which is really important in New Jersey. Um, and they were saying it's just from an economic standpoint and then the landscape standpoint it is a really important plant uh, to the nursery trade. And they don't want to, they know it's invasive and they don't want to sell an invasive species. So they've been actually working to create a sterile variety and they think they have a sterile variety in addition to like to some research with a university. Um, and that's where I'm torn because at the same time, I'm like, well, we're spending all this money and resources on coming up with a sterile variety instead of investing that money and resources in finding what native plants are work better in yeah. this situation yeah. and actually feed part of the ecosystem, maybe not deer, but they're feeding different parts of the ecosystem. Um, um, instead of this, just it's literally as if you were putting a lawn gnome in your yard. Yeah. A lawn gnome that can die. <laughs> it's like it's an ornament it's a lawn yeah. so, so many of these landscape plants are just lawn ornaments or um, and they don't serve any other function other than existing people yeah. I, w- I would say people think they're beautiful most people don't even care it's just ever all their neighbors have them and this is what i'm supposed to have most people don't care what it, what's it, in their yard it would probably be they don't know what's in their yard more ecologically beneficial to put a silk plant in your yard as opposed to Japanese barberry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's and and I agree the amount of research and marketing and money that gets put into mm-hmm. it when there's you know, yeah, like barberry is deer resistant. If you have the right ecosystem, there's gonna be enough food for the mm-hmm. deer where they're not just depleted. Like when you're only putting yeah. six shrubs in front of a house and that's all that's there, mm-hmm. that's the problem. That's and, that's and the that's issue. part of their point is the system's just too far gone. Yeah. In New Jersey, we have too many deer that we're never going to solve it. We're never going to get over the, the habitat issues. So we need to invest in plants that are going to handle what we have. Um, I was in a meeting the other day, and it's like I I was sitting there as the eco person in the, in the room too, um, and it's a lot of landscapers and people in the green industry, and they're just talking about why like why – different pesticides are important to their job and like why, Oh, we need to keep the grass weed free. And there's a lot of market metrics that were uh, market research that had went into this. And like, it was, it was overwhelming numbers of people wanted their lawns to be weed free and felt that, um, having a well-maintained landscape was important to them. Um, where I, I didn't raise my hand cause it wasn't that kind of meeting yeah. to do this, <laughs> but I didn't raise my hand. But what I wanted to ask is, you didn't say you were asking about the results of using pesticides, but you didn't define what well maintained meant. Because well maintained to me would mean actually not using pesticides. Um, and this was you're using well maintained as and advocating for using pesticides to make things green, weed free, and insect free, and all this stuff. And that is not my definition of well maintained. Um, and how many people in that poll? are just seeing well-maintained and applying their own definition to it. I I would also think that my opinion of well-maintained is different than most other people who would be in a survey as well. I'm probably in like a 1% or 5% column. Um, I'm, you know, and I'm someone that's very, very, I, I don't know how I feel about market research just because mm-hmm. it's just a way of finding a spin to present what you want to present. If yeah. you want to continue <laughs> to, to, 
spray pesticides and you want to continue to sell invasives, you can find a spin mm-hmm. that people are okay with yeah. eventually if you do enough research. Yeah. And I, I don't want people to get me wrong too. The meeting was actually really, really yeah. good. It was all about how to, how to present your message um, thoroughly, concisely, and impactfully. And it was really, really good. And the people that were there, oh, there were, were really points, smart. And yeah. it was it was really awesome learning about it. But I just kept coming back to, like, we're thinking about the wrong we're, – we're trying to preserve the way we're doing things, not thinking about why are we – why do we need to do things that way? And maybe we need to – we're building all this on a house of cards. See, and I, maybe we need to knock out – like, just, just preserving that we can keep building the house of cards the way we are doesn't mean that the house is any more livable mm-hmm. – Maybe we need to knock down the house and rebuild it out of bricks. I, see, I would love to incorporate some other questions into that same market research about, well, why, why is it, why, why should we not have weeds in our lawn? Mm-hmm. You know, not how it makes you feel, yeah. but why, why is it exactly, important yeah. to not have weeds, or why is it important to, to have a lawn or or mow? You know, like yeah. I think there's a lot of questions that you can ask people mm-hmm. that they're not going to really know what the answer is yeah but I, I brought a bad example to really say there's a i find the same arguments with the like when you talk about sterile cult- cultivars of invasive plants is yeah, okay I, but i don't understand the reason behind it i think it's interesting and it's cool because mm-hmm. it's science but it's maybe we're going the wrong direction like maybe uh-huh. we should be finding out what works better instead of finding a way to make an invasive plant not invasive, um, I I feel it. It's it's like at this point, it's like trying to build a better compact disc. Why? Yeah. You you know it's, you know I, I don't know. It's I I kind of feel like as we learn more, haven't we learned enough mm-hmm. to know that it's not about keeping that plant i i guess we haven't it's it's, it's yeah. there's there's so many bigger issues and and like i said i'm never going to judge anyone at, at their place on the mm-hmm. journey if whether they decide to take the journey and if they're on it mm-hmm. at what at what uh at what place they are on the journey like and that's everyone's personal journey they get the the right to 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 take that at their their own pace yeah so. and i think it's important to remember too that we're we're the early adopters, and I'm yeah. not talking about just Fran and I, but everyone listening to this. We're the early adopters of this native plant movement. If you ever watch the, the Simon Sinek clip, um, it's, it's a business presentation, but he's talking about how why Apple was so innovative, and it's because they, they knew their why and they broadcast their why, not their product. Um, but every product has its early adopters and the people who get on the train because they, they're into it. Yeah. It appeals to them. It's interesting and cool to them. And they're willing to pay whatever for it. Uh, we haven't, and uh, typically that early adopter percentage is like 13% yeah. of the general public. I don't think we're even there yet. I don't think so. Um, it's that next wave is where you need to actually start selling your why. And you're going to have people who never are going to buy it. There's, there's people who are never going to buy an iPhone. It, there's there's just, people that, are, yes, I not agree. that it, it doesn't appeal to them, one. Two, they just are against the idea of it. So they're never going to buy it. But there's probably like 40% of people have an iPhone. I don't know exactly the numbers, but it's probably like 40% of cell phone users have an iPhone. Yeah. It might even be more. I don't know. But um, it's that next like 25%. Once you hit 13%, that's when you're selling why they should do business with you. Same thing with native plants is we're going to have to sell why native plants. Like it, 
doesn't necessarily just appeal to you. You don't want it at whatever cost because you buy into who native yeah. pl- or what native plants are and what they represent. It's there's got to be some kind of benefit that they are they are achieving uh, to get like, those people on board. Like I kind of feel like Owen Wormser, uh, mm-hmm. who we had on Lawns into Meadows, um, his message was really why. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, that's the business he he's in mm-hmm. is turning lawns into meadows. But that's not really what the book is about. Like yeah. not his business. It's about why and, mm-hmm. and and why he feels passionate about it and why it's important. And if you can get someone to read that and get behind it. And again, that's one of our top three episodes on, mm-hmm. on the podcast. So yeah. obviously that spoke to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, that that why people it resonated with people. Yeah. Yeah, but and then going back to plant bands was the second part of that. Is yeah, how do you feel? Like, do you man, think that's even worth it? I think it's the only way we're gonna uh, stop the sale. I do too. I, I think there's just enough financial motivation to you think about ethics and yeah, people. There's people who, when they found out, oh, this is an invasive plant. North Creek is actually a really good representation. They had a plant in their their thing. It came out. It was. It was even just somewhat invasive in some areas, and they said we're not selling it anymore. Yeah. Um, that's they stood by their ethics that they don't want to sell that plant. So big shout out to them because that was something yeah. I was like, man, this is actually really awesome that they're doing, yeah. and it got a lot of traction when they said, hey, yeah. we made a mistake. We're yeah. we're not going to make this mistake anymore because we know there's people where it's financially beneficial enough for them to just ignore their mistake yeah. that they they're like, oh, oh, there's people who deny that it's. Things are invasive when it's clear as day that yeah. Bradford pear and Calard pear that they're invasive, and there's no. people who's like, "Nope, not invasive by me." And, and there's what are something, you talking about? They're invasive. They're all over the place. There's there, there some people that don't know until it affects them. Yeah. Um, like say bamboo. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, unless you've had it in your property and haven't been able to get rid of it, you you probably don't care. You mm-hmm. know, unless you're you're one of the early adopters. And yep. I kind of like take it back to. To, to early instincts, you put your hand on a stove. Mm-hmm. You learn you you can you can just put burn cream on your hand and keep touching the stove, yeah. or you can not touch the stove. Like yeah. I feel not selling it is a better alternative. Yeah. But for some people, if they, I if I gave you hundred, well, yeah. they never touch the stove. Or if I gave you a hundred dollars every time you touch the stove, you're going to keep touching the stove. Yeah, yeah. So and unfortunately, that's how it is with some invasive plants. Is, I agree. Uh, is you have people who. And maybe it's not against their ethics, but it would be against my ethics. Yeah. Um, if I, I found out that something was invasive, I we wouldn't sell wouldn't it. Plan, yeah. We wouldn't yeah. be growing it to begin with. No, it, exactly. Plants. But, you know, it's – um, yeah, it's I, – I, I think we're both in agreement that mm-hmm. we're both – we're both taking plant bans. We're both leaving yeah. sterile cultivars because I think that's the only way you get ahead. Otherwise, we're, we're constantly just there's banned. No, it, there's no motivation to change unless – there's, there, like I said, the money's flowing in. There's no motivation to change yeah. this. So why would you change? At some it? point, yeah. the government has to say, "Hey, this is impacting the greater good of of our country or our state. We need. We're forcing the change." And, and it, it's happened in the past. It's if you, you look at. There was a reason unions became about, and it was yeah. the federal government said, "Hey, we need to." Or not? I shouldn't say federal government, but uh, you had government players that said, "Hey, we this." You can't just pay people pennies and have children working here and not let people be home when they're sick. And 
there's a reason these rules came in into place, and they're going to have to come into place here. I don't uh, see it changing without this. And I know this this is going to sound horrible, and and I can't believe that someone hasn't at least looked at this mm-hmm. way. You have all these invasives that people say, all right, well, they're deer resistant. Well, if they're banned, not only does that open an opportunity, it's not like you're not going to have anything to sell. You're mm-hmm. going to have other plants to sell, but you're also going to have plants to sell that deer keep eating that people are going to keep replacing. Yep. There's probably more, <laughs> more, yeah. more of an opportunity mm-hmm. with these plants getting banned than there is with them there. Now, where I do fall is like with some of the science, and while I disagree with the reasoning for inv- inv- creating a new Japanese barberry that's sterile. If we can definitively prove that something is sterile, I would be against, I wouldn't say, I, personally I wouldn't be against banning it, but I would say if they if they didn't want to ban it because it's proven sterile, then don't ban it. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have any qualms in saying, hey, yeah, you I, know what, leave that off the list. I, I agree. But definitely ban the regular Japanese barberry. If this one's proven sterile, hey, it's okay yeah. until we it's proven otherwise. I agree. Um, I agree with you 100%. But I... I don't think we should have been going down that route in the first place, yeah. I guess is my point there. Like, like we've, you and I have never said natives are, are nothing. You know, it's, it's, if I, I'm not going to say there's not a place for these other things mm-hmm. that if they're not hurting the environment, you know, and, and everything, like everything can hurt the environment if it's not in moderation, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, that, but the things that are a true detriment to what we're trying to accomplish, I agree, yeah. should be banned. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's right. it. That's yeah. enough of us. I, I feel last couple buzzes, man. I felt preachy. Yeah, we get a little preachy. We get a little philosophical. Yeah. It's all it's all good. So yeah, it's all <laughs> in day's work. It's, it's what's, what's the phrase? It's not uh, it's not it's not well paid, but it's honest. Or something yes, like that. there you yeah, go. That's how you feel with us. There you go. Uh, so that's going to wrap us up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy listening to the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. To Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, thank you to RJ Comer for our buzz theme music. You can buy or stream RJ's music on I- iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Uh, but do yourself a favor. Go to Pandora. Look for one of his curated Americana playlists. I think you'll really – it's a good gardening music, so uh, it puts you in the right state of mind. So definitely go out and, and look up one of those playlists. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And uh, that's one of our fans that's out our, there barking, our trying bark to get off in. music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Telling us to get off the stage. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz. If We'll answer it to the best of our ability. If we can't answer it, we'll get someone that will. Um, and don't forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. We're up to 1,300 members now, and and again, it's still – we haven't had really any issues. So, like I'm really happy and proud mm-hmm. of, of, yeah. of the community that exists there. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch, including shirts, phone cases, and some other stuff on www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a banner right at the top. It will take you to a Teespring store, and once again – this none of this money goes to Fran and I. We all take the profits, and then we give that to organizations we feel are doing a really good job, and uh, and the money goes a long way with. So um, we've been doing that. We've we've given it away to the Native Habitat Project, Sowlands Conservancy, and Bowman's Hill. Okay, and um, or those are, are the three recipients we chose so far. Uh, 
We're I, looking I have, forward to the next. Yeah, yeah, I have no clue where we are with sales. I haven't, I, I haven't I, checked I in a while. But um, you can also listen to uh, Native Plants Healthy Planet at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. But you're probably going to listen to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you consume your podcast. You'll be able to find us there. If at all possible, leave us a five-star review. No one did this week, so you didn't get your shout-out. If you leave yeah. a five-star review and give us a little write-up, actually, I'll give you that. a shout-out. We actually had two or three five-star reviews, just no write-up. They just did, yeah, they didn't do the write-up, yeah. so yeah, I can't so. identify who they are that way. Can't and, help you that way. Talk to them and say, hey, we love what you're you're putting down, <laughs> and we really appreciate it. So uh, my little secret, friend, yes, and I feel it? like I've told this, but maybe I haven't. Um, but when my brother and I were kids, uh, I guess I don't know if we watched a lot of baseball or why we thought this was cool. Uh, it was really my brother's idea, but we used to we used to pretend we had like chewing tobacco in. Did I tell this secret? You did. Already? You did. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I can't tell it again. That's all right. Um, but that was my secret. We stick. Well, you know what? Mouth. Who knows? Maybe someone's listening that hadn't heard it. Before. Well, the secret. Yeah, the secret was we would go. I have another secret I can roll into. Okay. The secret that I was going to tell that I had already told is we'd sneak in here and my brother would put coffee grinds in his mouth and we pretend we were. We were chewing tobacco, and then my dad found us and said, well, if you want to try it, we'll try it for real. And he went and bought a, a pack of beech nut, and we tried it after church one day, and within 30 seconds, we were thrown off, thrown up off our back porch. I don't know if I yeah. shared the first – like I was a kid. I was probably like eight or nine, and I was fishing with my dad and his friend, and he did chew. He, he did Red Man in a pouch, and I would always ask about it. So he's like, yeah, here, try it, you know, yeah. and that – that was I was throwing up yep, within yep. five minutes. Now the other secret that I'll talk about with my brother being a bad influence is uh is <laughs> my brother's like crashed over a, a mud puddle one day. I was maybe like five, and so he would have been four. And um, and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm eating these worms. They're awesome. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, let me try one. And we, he's like, we dug in the ground. We found some worms. We, we picked them up. He's like, oh, you can't eat them like this. There's too much dirt, and it's going to grit in your teeth. So we, we walk over this mud puddle, and we, he's like, you got to wash them off in this dirty uh, mud puddle, which is right outside our potting barn, by the way. So who knows <laughs> what was back in there at the time. Oh, my. And, and, and we wash them off in this dirty mud puddle, and then he's like, yeah, now you just put it in your mouth and slurp it up. And so I did it. I'm like, oh, man, this is not, not as good as he wanted to. He still eats worms to this day. Does he really? Oh, yeah. So, wow. I, I, I've, I've, I've started eat, eating grubs. I haven't eaten worms yet. I have never again. eaten a worm. Um, but, yeah, I've eaten grubs and all kinds. Of, there's uh, all kinds of good stuff that, that gall, we don't think yeah. about. It's, you're not going to find in the grocery store. So it's like, oh, you can't eat that. But you, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you can eat. Yeah. So, no, including native plants. There you go. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a, that made me think. Of, it's, it's totally not related. But I, I think of worms as a kid and mm-hmm. one of my neighbors and i'll never forget they were a little bit older and their parents had taken them out and gotten them it was i'd never seen them before the jawbreakers that are oh, like yeah. the tennis ball size jawbreakers and they're like look at this look what we got well i i <laughs> it was in the basket of their bike and i picked them up and i thought they were balls and i threw them both on the oh, ground <laughs> and and shattered both and they were both like no and i was like oh i didn't know i thought they were yeah, that one cost my parents, you know, whatever, whatever. A nickel back in the 1940s. About that. About that. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up next week, we do have another Meet the Guests we're excited about. Tom and I are just finalizing it yeah. right now, so I don't want to. It's wanna... more than likely going to be, I can, okay. can say, right. it's more than likely going to be Marty McHugh. 
who's been on. He was on our, our government podcast. Yes. And it's uh, to talk about something he, he gave that presentation at that SEER talk um, about how they put a valuation on uh, wildlife and plants during um, remediation like, during disasters. So, like, think about, like, oil spills and that kind of stuff. How do you value what the destruction was from that? And what BP paid eight was eighteen billion dollars during the, their oil spill. How do they come up with that number? Yeah, he's I'm, the one who knows the answer. I'm looking so forward he, to he's find, done that work. I if I hope you're curious because I'm curious. But once once Tom mentioned this to me, I was like, oh, I need to know more. Like yeah. that's something I want to know. So we we have Marty coming up next week. So make to uh, make sure you tune in for that. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.